0: and welcome to the Stalk and I podcast for solo parents and those considering solo parenthood by donor conception. I'm your host, Mel Johnson, the solo parenthood coach and solo mum to my five-year-old daughter. Series six of the podcast is focused on solo parenthood stories and speaking to a range of solo mums about their path to parenthood. I've just been notified that the Stalk and I podcast has reached 100,000 downloads. I'm so happy and so grateful to everybody who listens. If you'd like to support the podcast, something you can do is subscribe to the Thriving Solar membership, which gives you access to Podcast Plus. This is an exclusive podcast episodes for Thriving Solar members only. I speak to donor-conceived people, psychologists, really interesting experts covering all topics solo parenthood the more members i get the more episodes i can create and the better guests i can get on so consider signing up the links in the show notes today's guest is solo parent claire and in today's episode we chat all about her experiences of becoming a solo parent
1: claire thank you so much for being on the podcast today you're welcome Before we start, would you like to give yourself an introduction?
2: Hi, so I'm Claire. I am now 47. I have a nearly five-year-old little boy who I made on my own. He's now at school and uh, we live in South West London.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much. So if we go back to the beginning, when did you start considering Solo Parenthood as a path to parenthood for you?
2: So... I don't know if my story is any different from anybody else's, but I was leaning towards the age of 40. I was coming up to my 40th birthday, and actually it was an idea from my mum. You know, I'm from a village in Cheshire, so all my mum's mates are my fake aunties. And clearly they'd been chatting about the fact I wasn't in a relationship and what should we do about it? So my mum approached me and said, oh, you know, I've been chatting to so-and-so and a friend of her daughter's has just an egg freezing Oh, yeah, very casually in the car. Have you ever thought about it? And, you know, because my mum was telling me about it, I clearly went, oh, of course not. No, I don't need to. That's a ridiculous idea. How very very dare you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I had an industry friend who had done egg freezing. So I'd heard half the story from her and, you know, it was under general anaesthetic. So immediately, having not looked into it whatsoever, it sounded quite invasive, sounded a bit scary. And also my mum had suggested it. So I kind of put a pin in it and thought nothing of it. And a couple of months later, we were, you know, as you you probably have with your mum, the chat's in the car as you go somewhere. And she's kind of brought it up again. And to sort of get her off my back, I said, yeah, no, I looked, I thought about it. I kind of looked into it a little bit. And, you know, it's halfway to IVF. So I might, you know, I just might buy some sperm and do it on my own. And her instant reaction was, Yeah. I think you'd be great at that. I think wow. you're really independent. You know you know your mind. You've got a great life in London. You've got some really good mates. I think that's a great idea. And I was a little bit taken aback <laughs> because I didn't I kind of flippantly was saying it to, to get her off my back. Yeah. So I feel like I haven't gone through the heart, you know, the very heavy, deep heart thinking process that lots of women have gone into. And I make it sound really flippant when I say that. But that was just, that was more the chrysalis of it beginning. At that point, I hadn't done any research and I hadn't really deeply looked into it. It just was a a small idea. And I did then look into it. And at no point did it feel wrong. I was very... I'm quite confident in my myself and my ability. I mean, I have like, you know, as all people do, social anxiety in certain, certain situations and I'm an overthinker sometimes and I create worries that don't exist. But I am quite confident. I like myself. I like my company. I am independent financially and I have a great group of friends. So it didn't I was never felt scared that I was doing it without a partner. And I think I just went with my gut and thought, well, I'm not getting reservations about parenting. And, I, you know, looking into how egg retrieval is is done and the procedures you go through, that felt scary as I looked at it. But the parenting bit, I didn't ever feel uncomfortable doing that on my own. So that was the start of my journey. So when I, my birthday's in November, so the September before my 41st birthday, I had my first consultation at my clinic. And I think back now, I didn't know, I thought I created it, I thought I invented this process because my clinic never mentioned that other women do it. And they never mentioned that, oh yes, we do have six patients going through the same process. Would you like to meet each other if you were all comfortable doing it? And that would have felt great if they offered Mm -hmm. me that. my first consultation was straight away, meet a consultant, meet Wanda and have your baseline scan, have your bloods taken. So the ball was rolling immediately. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, lots of, I think now naively, I look like, I I think about what my consultant said was for your age, you have a good egg reserve and for, you know, for your age, your hormone results look good. You you, you know, you'll respond well to hormones. So you kind of go, yeah, great. I'll get pregnant really easy. And again, that's maybe either not due diligence on my side or me just truly thinking it was going to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, medical people are making me pregnant. So of course it's gonna work out. But now having had my son you know, the last couple of years, maybe talk to other fertility clinics or people within our community or friends who turned out who are married, who are having IVF, how how little information I actually got from my clinic about it. One, because there's two aspects that we go through. Or three, even we have fertility that we need to think about. We think about doing it all alone and having no support in any of your appointments, and walking out and maybe being a little bit overwhelmed. And then, secondly, the parenting bit yeah. is sort of the last bit you think about. And I certainly didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it because I was so like, yeah, like I'm a, I, you know, I've babysit my nieces and nephews. I, I did it when I was seven, you know, I managed when I was seventeen between you know my two A level years and stuff. So. It's only now that I look back and go, God, I really didn't get any support whatsoever. And it probably helped in a way because I didn't worry about things until they happened.
1: Yeah, Um, I think it's a really interesting point because that's so many people book on my preparing to thrive course, which is for pregnant solo um, parents and are like. I've only been focused on getting pregnant and now I am pregnant. And now I'm like, oh my God, I'm pregnant. And because that like initial focus takes all of your energy and focus. Once it happens, lots of people suddenly are like, a bit panicking and then there's a tendency to overthink because you just think gosh I've just gone through I don't know how much to get pregnant now why aren't I overjoyed and actually it's just that there's they haven't allowed themselves almost to think further than that
2: yeah and I think for my character for my personality is that I I tend to even in like work projects I do things in blocks yeah. And I think I can worry now about having enough money for his uni fees yeah. or I can just really enjoy having a four year old and, and dealing with the fact he won't put his school socks on. Yeah. So I think I, I think we can all project too far in the future. And yeah. I think now that we both have four year olds, you look back at, back at the newborn stage and I was very fortunate. I did have a sleeping a baby that did pretty Good. much sleep. You know, I didn't have I had, he had horrific colic. Right. And I actually found so in the, the time in that little world I lived in, it felt really, really, really hard. But actually, now I look back four years later and go, no, you know what was really hard? 18 months was hard when he's actually quite boring. Yeah, glad <laughs> yeah, saying that. The learning to work, you know, you've got to keep your eye on them. They're going to fall off everything. They're going to bang them, bang on their head on everything. They're going to eat everything. How do you play with the 18 month old? You know that actually, in hindsight, was much harder for me. The newborn. But if I was in the newborn bubble, thinking about an eighteen-month-old, you don't deal with what you're already in. So true. So I think you know, over the over the months and years with with Theo, is I just worry about this month, and you know, I've got a few childcare plans for the summer holidays, and that's as far as I'm thinking really, because I think you know, any parent, regardless of whether you're parenting together or parenting alone you can project too far into the future because every stage is going to have a challenge.
1: So, but, so um, Summer holidays are stressing me out so badly. I think I've made a massive mistake because I've made a plan every single weekend of July and August, or not July, but the, the those six weeks of the summer yeah. holidays. So because my mum's having Daisy for two days a week, every right. week, and I thought if I was away for the weekend, at least then my mum gets that break away because yeah. she always sees it like we're here just cuz she's around the corner so but i just think it's going to be so much going away every weekend so i will i will report back on progress on whether that was a Yeah let me know error. how that goes <laughs> yeah
2: cuz yeah. i'm also one of these people that is utterly exhausted by being in social situations right. and that's what I've had to realize Theo's personality is not like that oh. Theo loves being a, he's a Leo and I'm a Scorpio we're very different you know right. spectrums and that's one thing you should also think about if you're doing solo parenting figure out when your baby will be born because having an August boy makes it quite hard because right. he's you know, you know he's, he's young for his school year and he's hyper so you know I think if you t- talk to a teacher, they always plan to get pregnant in a February. So they right. have this in the business school year because they they know that it really helps the, with their education as well. But right. yeah, I, so if we have a busy week, I have to plan in a quieter week the next week yeah. or plan in the fact he's going to earlier nights, night. So I get more time on my own in the evenings. I re-energize energize that way.
1: I've done a lot of work on myself and I, I don't even really know what I am anymore I'm, I'm, I'm confused because when I was single and didn't have children I was such a raging extrovert and couldn't spend a single minute on my own I, I was hmm. literally with friends the whole time out all the time dinners not because I love partying but because I love being with people and I just want I I didn't like spending time on my own then I would say I've done a lot of work on that to get a lot more comfortable and that now I think I've gone the other way sometimes I think gosh what's happened to me I'm now spending the thought of actually having to make conversation so I really I really feel I've changed in a positive way because now I don't have to be with other people, which I think is positive, but I don't really know where I sit, but it is important, isn't it? Because everyone's so different. You've just got to know where you get your energy from, haven't you?
2: And I definitely do a lot more things now that are for him that i wouldn't do for me so for example it's like you know the millions of birthday parties you go to Mm. and obviously there's parents you start to recognize but you know two hours of small talk with parents that you don't that you know you don't particularly know Mm. in a situation that i wouldn't wouldn't have done if i wasn't going for theo Mm. if it was me going to you know a works night out and i was the only person for my company there I would hate it and do all I could not to be there. Mm. So there's definitely things that he, he doesn't make me do anything. But I definitely do a lot more than I'm comfortable doing socially because it's him. It's for him. It's not for me. I've made a load of mates out of it who also feel exactly the same. You know, the reality is they feel the same way as yeah. well. Not everybody wants to be at a fifth birthday party on a you know, heat wave Saturday. But he pushes me out of my boundary, you know. Yeah. When you go to any play group when they're twelve months old, and he, you can see they want to play with that child. You, as an adult, you go over and introduce yourself and introduce your child. That's not something I would have had the confidence to do. Mm-hmm. if I didn't have, wasn't doing it with him. Yeah, so he, I've definitely grown with him.
1: I think that I think this is such an important conversation because I, I think there's an element of this as well that is unique to solo parenting, and um, I, I just I know that our brains are wired to think of the negative. It's it is just a fact, and so mm. you really need to focus in on the positive to yeah. get a balanced view. And um, I've done quite a lot of thinking about this. That I know myself really well, and I know what I would be like in a relationship, and I would tell you now and I'm not proud to say it but I just really really feel like this would not happen I wouldn't be going into the pool with them on the holiday I'd be reading a book on the sun yeah. I wouldn't yeah. be playing football in the back garden I would literally yeah. fall into the stereotype and um be like no partner you do that stuff yeah. i'm gonna do this stuff and i do think it's a positive at the time sometimes i think ah but you get to experience that with them that you wouldn't have yeah previously I think I'd yes. outsource riding a bike. Like, I'm going to teach James. Oh, I'm, to I am already bike.
2: outsourcing teaching him to ride a bike. I tried once. He, he he said he was pedaling, but he had to pedal with his eyes closed because he was so scared.
1: Oh, no. I thought,
2: this isn't going to work out, mate. So, I'm already trying to find other people to Brilliant. teach him because it's hard enough to teach, teach him to ride a scooter. And I've got to teach him to swim as well. And I've also got to take him to football practice. So, I think I can outsource one job.
1: And that, yeah, that, that's the other thing, isn't it? You know, we don't have to do everything. There's plenty of people that we can find to help. with.
2: Yes, things, yes. Isn't
1: there? Yeah. And then, I don't know if you've ever um, heard Kiara Shu talk, but she I've interviewed her a few times. She's a only conceived person with, who grew up with a solo mum. And I love listening to her talk because she talks all about exactly that, like the benefits of the fact that her mum Um, created so many different people in their lives that she sees as male role models that did things like I don't know if it was riding a bike but took her camping and went to the father's day thing and it's really beautiful listening to her talk about how involved lots of different people were and to the point where you think gosh like some of my friends say there's an advantage over people just with a mum and dad, because then you've just got those two, whereas actually yeah. you're quite thoughtful about it. You can have a really great really
2: group yeah. of in yeah. your life. I think the hardest thing, I don't know if you go through this, the hardest thing I have is asking people, though. yeah. Because yeah. I think a lot of the time, you know, I've got, I come from a very, very male family. I've still got my dad. Right. And he's got three uncles and he's got a male cousin who's yeah. a little bit older than him. So he has more male relatives than he has female relatives, which is, is really lucky. But most of them don't live in London. Right. So, but so then it's very intense, lovely visits when we see each other. But even my friends who go, honestly, Claire, ask me any time, you know, I'll pop round if you want me to babysit. It's fine. It's sort of like, unless they go, we're coming around on Thursday in babysitting, yeah. I do still feel inconvenient.
1: Yeah.
2: Or they go, oh well, yeah, let, let me just check my diary. And I'm like, oh, you didn't really mean it then, did you? Not that I'm expecting them to be completely available every, <laughs> every minute of the day.
1: Yeah.
2: There is a little bit of, yeah, exactly. And I did choose to do this on my own. So maybe yeah. I should just suck it up and get on with it. It's also a little bit at the back of my mind as well. Like nobody else chose for me to be in this situation.
1: I look at it in a few a few different ways one if i'm asking for help for something with daisy i do look at it like a connection opportunity for people so I'm not yeah. just asking them to help me I'm also asking to strengthen their relationship which I think is a bit of an honor yeah
2: that's um, a really good way of thinking about it actually
1: so that that's one thing and then the other thing is there's this thing that I've been reading about called the helpers high and I know very well because I get it myself so what I've got one friend who does ask me to help her from time to time with child care and I love it because it shows me that she trusts me enough with yeah. it it builds my connection with her daughter it gives daisy somebody to play with so i love being that person for somebody where they trust you enough that they're asking for your help yeah. and also you think you think and and if you if i ever need something in return she'll be there for me as well yeah. so i try to think of it as a positive And I also think if you've offered, then I just have to accept that you didn't like that that was a genuine offer. And if it wasn't, then more for you for saying that you didn't mind. But I also
2: like, I mean, I don't, maybe your same situation now is like, I'm happy for Theo to have a load of play dates over here. Yeah. Because actually having more, another child playing to play with takes. Like now it's sort of like, I can leave them in the garden together. It's fine. I know they're not going to do anything daft. Or to deaf. but also it's just a bit of a break for me. He's entertained; yeah. it's great, and yeah. it, so he'll be shattered. So that means bedtime's a bit easier. So it it sometimes I'm I'm like, oh, I look like I'm really nice, but actually, no. it's really helpful. I'm, like I'm babysitting after- daughter tonight or something.
1: Yeah, we always have people around here because because Daisy is an only child, and I'm just really conscious that otherwise the whole weekend can go without having any other children around. Yeah, so, so I really make an effort to have. That, and I do love a house full as well like that is yeah. my preference so so getting people around a lot and we can just design it however we want to can't we whatever works yeah. best for us and our children well that's the ben-
2: that's one of the benefits isn't it
1: yeah. is
2: we don't need to seek somebody else's not permission but is it okay oh so yeah yeah and we don't have to maintain a relationship with anybody like no I don't know if you had this when you just had daisy but my nct group were all a little bit exasperated with their partners
1: 100%, 100%, 100%. and i was
2: like oh no i just take you know theo's bottle fair it's like no i just take two bottles to bed with me and i've got a bottle warmer in the bedroom it's dead simple and then we both go back to sleep yeah. and they're like he didn't wake up and he snored and he woke you know so there are definitely benefits at times uh, and even I- now with a four-year-old there's still benefits it's so easy to think
1: everything would be easier but even when it is a great relationship and they do help, there are still, I'm not trying to say everyone's relationship's is appalling and no men are any yeah. help whatsoever, but there are still challenges, aren't there? For sure. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Theo goes to bed and I can be in my pajamas at seven o'clock on the sofa and feel seven very comfortable. Does he
1: go to bed at seven?
2: Well, this is, this is, this was a, a little tip my friend gave me. He was having, last summer, he was being manic and crazy and shroppy and angry. And just his behavior was rubbish in the evenings. Mm-hmm. And we'd gone away with two other friends of mine with, with their similar age children. And my mate went, he's just knackered. And it didn't, hadn't, and it was really interesting because I live in it and hadn't observed the fact he's probably shattered. Mm-hmm. So she said, try a 6.30 bedtime. So the last year he's had a 6.30-ish bedtime. He's usually asleep now by quarter past seven. Wow. because he's an early riser he wakes up a bit like your daisy mm. anything between 5:30 and 6:30 mm. is his rising time so i do what you do the reverse line but i do it with theo so he's wow. in bed an hour earlier than i thought he should be in bed and it's worked out much better and his attitude in the evenings is much better and he has dinner and he has his bath and then that's it with a couple of books so it's re- that's really helped. So I do now get two, two hours or something in the evening on my own, which is lovely.
1: I think I, I need watch. to start doing the same. I think I need to start the routine. I do coaching at eight o'clock and I'm always, yeah. and, and the, but the problem is Daisy knows when I've got a coaching client because it, she can pick up on my stress. And yeah, you're a bit rough, yeah. Yeah, because you're like, oh, yeah. i just go to sleep. Whereas actually just starting earlier probably would be the, the better. Yeah.
2: One. I mean it's difficult because so I work for I don't I assume you work from home yeah. at least a couple of times a week. So I work from home too. So the fact that I'm not doing a big commute or anything, you know, if I was working in my corporate jobs like I used to do, I wouldn't be getting home till half seven. So that wouldn't have be, been that wouldn't be practical. No. So it actually works, you know, that I work from home and I usually do most school pickups as well. So we have a nice little play for a couple of hours before the bedtime routine starts, but it has allowed, you know, both of us have a much better re- attitude in the evening. And I get a few hours without him as well.
1: I think that's actually a really good point because I think if Daisy, because Daisy goes to bed, I would say at eight o'clock, like five two, eight yeah. is around a when she goes. Whereas if she would go forty five minutes earlier, I could really give her undivided attention before that because I'd get an extra forty five minutes to yeah. do some of the things I do now. So that's probably a better way. Does she tell it. the
2: time? Does she? Does she? Can she recognize the time? Not yet. You can. She doesn't need to know. Then she's going to bed earlier. Yeah,
1: exactly. Oh no, I definitely wouldn't tell her. Yeah, <laughs> you just yeah. like yeah, yeah, right. It's time to start. Ready yeah, because
2: some kids then. obviously can tell the time, or they've got yeah. a broken so Know that they're going to bed early. But yeah, I would yeah. definitely give it a go because. Yeah. Just even for your mental health, of having exactly. a la- a less stressful half hour before you start your second job or anything. Well,
1: the, uh, and I I just felt like I get no time in the evening at all. Yeah. And now I do get it in the morning. So so that and that's a prep. That's a
2: better, You're very productive nuts. in the morning. I have to say, <laughs> I am absolutely not productive in the morning.
1: So I do try to share when I've had a lazy morning, just to show right. sometimes there are there are yeah. some lazy months. But being lazy
2: days. at half six in the morning isn't you looking like you're lazy? No, you're that's just like... normal,
1: normal yeah. life. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. So we've got we've digressed onto some very okay. good chat there. So what treatment did you have?
2: Okay, so I initially started. So like I said, I turned forty-one in the November, yeah. and that. Then I did three IUIs. Okay. And that's my only regret that I did RUIs. And I think there's a couple of reasons. Financially, it was frustrating that I used an entire vial for each IUI attempt. And secondly, I hadn't considered, and my clinic didn't mention either, that if I had got pregnant with an IUI, I would have very, very limited chances of having a sibling because uh-huh. I I would have been maybe 43. Try and do IUI or then an egg retrieval. Yeah. So I'm just I I feel that's my only frustration in my whole journey is I did IUIs. Anyway, the three IUIs didn't work, so we sw- I switched then to IVF. My first IVF egg retrieval, we got basically we got two blastocysts, um, and I got pregnant on the first transfer, but unfortunately lost the baby at 10 weeks Mm. so I had one frozen blastocyst so I decided to do another egg retrieval and again got two blastocysts so I three left had a transfer didn't implant so at that point my my consultant said let's do some more blood tests he says by the way I did mention these in your first consultation as in I've done my due diligence Claire and these are the blood tests that looked at things like which are technically the add-ons and a lot of women who have done IVF solo or not solo have a lot of opinions about these yeah. things that are constantly add on so it was natural killer cells mthfr which is absorbing the folic acid mm-hmm. and iron and sticky blood was the third one and all of them came back on some level that i had an issue with
1: oh, wow. and so,
2: so combined the protocol then changed to being on blood thinners to reduce my sticky blood, which meant I may have been clotting. So the placentas weren't developing or growing. I then switched to methyl folate, which is a natural version of folic acid, which is easier for your body to absorb, mm-hmm. but in conjunction with blood thinners was much easier to absorb. Mm-hmm. And then for natural killer cells, which may have, my body may have thought the the, fetus, the embryos were viruses. So mm-hmm. I was, my immunity was a bit high and that's why I either miscarried or didn't implant. The solution for that, there's three different ways you can counteract that. But unfortunately, mine came back as the most expensive <laughs> protocol, mm, which is having um, plasma transfusions. So on day of transfer, if I was pregnant at six and a half weeks, if I was pregnant nine and a half weeks, it was three different plasma transfusions. So that was my new protocol for my technically my sixth attempt of trying to get pregnant. And that was Theo. So that's the that's the pregnancies that stuck so so hard stay-
1: isn't it because yeah like they they there's all this skepticism about these add-ons and of course you don't know that that is like that could have happened anyway but
2: exactly it, but it, I kind of yeah and I think for somebody who did have the add-ons and it did come back with with triggering these these are, the cha- mm. these, are cha- these could be your challenges mm. and then doing the medical protocol and becoming and staying pregnant
1: mm.
2: I kind of feel like unless you've gone through that please consider your opinion on add-ons yeah true there are some people that are very very passionate about them and they didn't have those tests and they didn't go through the process of it so it for me I feel like it helped it worked yeah Uh, I got pregnant with Theo and I left the care of my fertility clinic at nine and a half weeks and switched to you know my NHS hospital, who then immediately went, "Oh my god, you're so old!" Oh wow, thank you. Just you're what forty. What watching. at this point I was so at this point it took me a year from my first IUI to my transfer with Theo. So right. my first IUI was the week of my forty first birthday, and my transfer with Theo was the day after my forty second birthday. Wow. So it was, it was an intense year, but I also had given up work to do right. this i took redundancy so i had a, a i work in a, digital advertising so i had a corporate job i worked in um soho i traveled it was a global role so i traveled everywhere in america and across europe and fortunately and this was the other thing that helped me make the decision redundancy was offered because my headcount was moving to la and i didn't want to go to la and it fell right at a time where i wasn't really enjoying my job and my mom had planted this seed mm-hmm. and i just thought oh it's the universe. everything's aligned it's It's brilliant and you know it wasn't a financially it was pretty secure so I could take that risk and I could not have done got pregnant in that year if I was working so anybody who goes through what we any woman who's any family that's doing fertility treatment does it and holds down a job Mm -hmm. you're already bloody hero because it's so not only emotionally and hormonally intense but you know some clinics say be here for 7am for your baseline scan and you don't have it till nine and you're supposed to be on a conference call you know it's just really hard and the I clinic, did it the
1: clinics aren't working around our no, schedule they, are they they're yeah, like
2: they, don't you know I've got a
1: meeting to go to
2: but yeah. I, I think a clinic should really consider they should have a work room for women who are waiting True. there are lots of things that clinics can do not just for people who are doing it on the women who are doing it on their own which is a longer appointment time follow-up notes that aren't clinical but are you know layman's term notes and the, if they had a workspace where you could be on your laptop waiting for the nurse to come in that would just help so many a
1: really people. good idea. yeah
2: yeah even like because a lot of the times if you're trying for a sibling they they ask you politely if you cannot bring your child your if you have yeah. a child with you because it can be quite upsetting they just had a little soft play downstairs would be really helpful too you know yeah. those little things anyway. Yeah. So then I had Theo and everything, you know, he medically was fine. So my hospital panicked because I was so old and I remember going to my scans and I was giving my date of birth and they'll go, "Oh," I said, yeah, but my eggs from when I was 41. And they're like, yeah, that was last year though. (laughs) (laughs) Zero difference at this point. And I, then he was quite a large baby and he was breached the entire pregnancy. And then I got gestational diabetes. So they were like, Oh yeah. no, we're going to consider a C-section. I was like, "Yep, yeah, 100." I bought in. I'd rather have a C-section. I don't really want to give birth. I would rather not. And so, thank you. So, my mum, one of my best friends, was was going to be my birth partner, but actually, I it was my mom in the end, who was my birth partner. But the role of the stress, I don't know if you cover this in any of your coaching, is doing NCT yeah. as a solo mom. I do, yeah. And I was used as the example patient for every <laughs> demonstration in NCT. And I, you know, and I went for to an NCT that was very much pro-natural birth, breastfeeding. Mm. And I was, you know, I was doing section. I knew I was probably going to do formula feeding. Mm. So, I, it, for me, it definitely was, it was like a French and Saunders sketch every week. And it definitely it was to make friends. Yes. Uh, and I've got three of which I still see on a weekly basis. And yeah. I could four. Yeah, so my mum was my birth partner. She came into theatre with me and it's, uh, you know, an elective section is lovely it's so lovely it's 20 minutes within 20 minutes you're holding your baby and it's so chilled out and Aww. he came down it was perfect um yeah and the, my parents like I said they live in Cheshire so they actually took an Airbnb down in London for five weeks one road over from mine Amazing. Um and I stayed in their airbnb the first five nights and then I was like I kind of want to go home right like, I feel I'm feeling self-conscious he's waking you up for his night feeds so let me just go home and I'd rather figure out if I can how I'm coping while you're still close by
1: nice yeah
2: but yeah it kind of felt great and I was worried about post I think I just was worried and everything with like I said but I, th- I just keep thinking things were going to go wrong so I was anticipating postnatal depression yeah. or some sort of you know the baby ble- something and actually I didn't I was quite lucky I didn't really get much of anything I mean I, I was a bit weepy on day four but I think who isn't
1: exactly and so your parents are in Cheshire so was if you've got a good support network locally, who's that sort of lady?
2: So I have I have two brothers, two younger brothers. One lives in Cheshire with his family, so Theo's cousins are in Cheshire, and then in London I have my the middle brother with his partner live like fifteen minute walk away from me, but they have full time jobs. You know they yeah. they work and then they also have their own life. So we probably see them once a month. Right. We sort of have a, a day together, and then Theo does have sleepovers at theirs. Probably every couple of months, he'll go for a sleepover, and that's usually because it's one of my best friend's birthday dinners or something.
1: Yeah.
2: But my day-to-day crew is some of my NCT friends that I still still see regularly. A lot moved away. I think you know after the pandemic, during the pandemic, people moved Uh, away or moved back abroad. Yeah. And then mums I met at playgroup are also part of my circle. And then now he's at school. School mums. Yeah. And that's that's a new thing to navigate as well because I think schoolgate gate mums it is it is like motherhood it is like that tv yeah. series yeah
1: 100%. yeah it is
2: it is like that so there are the ones that you go oh I think you want to look for a fight you know and there's <laughs> a few that are really definitely want to go for a coffee in the morning but they're you know they're becoming really good friends too
1: brilliant and I think what's useful for people to hear is when I speak to people quite often they're like I don't know who would make up my support network I haven't got people who would do that and what i say is i would say 80 maybe 70 to 80 percent of my support network i didn't know before i had daisy absolutely you 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 because we all like to control everything you, you kind of want to know who that's going to be but I think it's reassuring yeah. to hear people say so much of it is is mums that I've made yeah. friends with who have got children a similar age and we're all in it together and you have to just rely on the fact that you can make mum friends easily because everybody's looking to make friends with people with the same age children yeah I say easily and you
2: you draw. immediately have something in common yeah and when it, the first one mentions something that's a bit hard work that week you yeah. all go oh, yeah I've done that that was as yeah. last week, or yeah that's yeah. going to happen too and, and you know the advice you get some of it you know you've got to wade through it w- wade through it but a lot of it is really helpful as well. Yeah, and even if it's just a sand, but there'll always be somebody who's slightly more competitive about the lack of sleep they've got. Yeah, but that's just la- that's just nature. Yeah, isn't it? that's just human characters. Like... Yeah, uh, but you know the amount of hours you will spend in a playground, it's nice to have somebody else sat there going, "Oh my god, I want to s- stick pins in my eyes." Yeah. I can't see it. I- or this is really good. Cool. Oh my God, he's gone down the slide for the first time. Because there are a, there's a few firsts that you don't get to share with other people. Yeah, and a lot of mates are all uh, are there to view it sometimes too. Like the first time they go on the swing. Yeah. Or brave yeah. enough to go through the tunnel slide or something. So yeah, I would say, one of my mum mates actually describes it quite well. And then I was a little bit offended at the same time. She says, basically, we're all like workmates, aren't we? this is these are your work you you got your work wife and your work husband and you work you know your work sister mm. your mum mates are a bit like your work mates mm. and then you have your historic mates your best yeah. friends that have known you when you were 25 and been a bit crazy in my situation my best four girlfriends are my age and don't have children right so so as they're all his fake aunties and they're brilliant and they they love him and they want to hang out with him and see him but You know, it's London. The nature of London is you don't live near anybody. Like my best mates all live an hour away from each mate, but they're only five miles down the road. Yeah. But my immediate friends, my day Monday to Friday, nine till five mates are all my new mum mates. And And I think
1: you can can have both, can't you? Because you can have sort of like acquaintances that you maybe I can see where the workplace analogy is. In terms of you go for coffee, do play dates, blah, blah, blah. And then some of them turn into actual friendships where you would yes. hang out regardless. Yeah. And I think it's good to have yeah. both, really, isn't it? Yeah. And
2: I think, you know, there's a few that I go on holiday with. We go to yeah. Wales a little bit. And then nice. I think, you know, now that Theo's in reception, we are meeting each other without our children.
1: Yeah.
2: And they're genuine friendships, you know, they're genuine chats, and you're chatting about big life things and you're chatting about, yeah. you know, work. Or, Can you give a bit of advice on this? You know, I've got one mate that I, go, I do a weekly walk with, and then we go for a coffee, and it ends up being it's five hours now. I'm, oh, God, I've got this to pick up.
1: Yeah. Um, Brilliant. I love that. Yeah. But you don't, one... I
2: think it's like having a dog. I think kids and dogs are great They breakers. to make you? so
1: yeah. true what did you do about
2: work then so you took redundancy I took a year's mat leave I gave myself a year and then I set up my own freelancing type consultancy and then um, my corporate background is as I mentioned digital advertising but primarily within the film sector so film releases digital releases and things
1: oh well, that
2: sounds so Is that as glamorous work... as it sounds well <laughs> I mean it's I think all jobs are glamorous from the outside, but when you're in it, I mean yeah, that's some are rubbish and I had to pretend they were great and I was really excited. <laughs> but then I got to go to some film premieres, so that was brilliant. Amazing. I've touched Tom Cruise's hair. His I hair blew into my hand once on the red. Um, so yeah, so I didn't miss it because I didn't I was ready to be a mod yeah. so and I think because I did it older, which was only 40 one, but technically older. Mm-hmm. I've had a brilliant life. I've yeah. travelled and I've had holidays, and I've gone to all the rest, you know, lots of brilliant restaurants, and I've got a really good, like soul sister group of mates. But I never look at Theo and go, God, I wish I could go out and get hammered. I yeah. never, I never look at him and wish that he wasn't there so I could go on that fabulous holiday because I've done all those lots of things anyway I set up this small consultancy and I work with a couple of film studios that are are independent that don't have a marketing person permanently and then I work with some ad tech film apps that supported that industry but what I realized was that I don't do film and tv like I did I don't you know I love film and tv theater but I wasn't consuming it so it felt more like work that it would ever done before Mm. so what I actually do now I do a similar thing but I now do a lot more early years so I now uh, work it's one of my clients is Theo's nursery group that he used to go to so I do their marketing communications I now work with a a local sports coach that does early years so two to twelve I have a film client that I still work with now and again But that's sort of what I do. It's like the world I live in has changed, but I've realised my skills are transferable into that world. I love it. And you can manage to change it as you go. Yeah, and I understand that sector more. I know what how a parent thinks, so I can talk to them in a way that, you know, works for them. Yeah. Um, But I don't work full-time. I'm fortunate enough to be able to not have to work full-time. Right. So now he's at school there's a few after school clubs he's in on a Monday and a Friday, and then a Tuesday he does the wraparound care at school. But so I don't work Mondays. I just, that's something sort of I don't, you know, because we don't get a weekend break at any point. Like I can't even go to, still can't go to Lille on my own. So Mondays I don't work, and then I probably work five-ish hours on the other days a day. That's so perfect. it's quite nice, yeah. yeah. I, but I,
1: again, going back to because we've got to look at the benefit. The benefits of doing this, I feel exactly the same as you. I've been on the amazing holidays, I've been to the amazing restaurants. Yeah. There was a point in my life where, and it sounds stupid, but you know, I lived in Budapest, I was out every night, again, because I didn't want to eat in on my own. Um yeah. and I was like, I I I I'm done with this now. I want a yeah. different thing. Whereas I do notice that people who haven't almost like got it out of their system, that they, they may be thinking, oh, now I can't go to these places. And I think it's for a period of time because I probably I can start going on more adventurous holidays again later when Daisy is a bit older. Yeah. I couldn't be bothered now, quite frankly. I prefer to just go to you know your Spains or your Tenerife's where they get yeah or actually I've started rediscovering the UK and staying in, in the UK a bit more but yeah maybe when she's older we can do some more adventurous yeah. travel but I think
2: also you know I still love the theatre and I still love the cinema 100%. so so I, I'm start I take Theo to it now a little yeah, bit more cinema it. he's not as good he can he's got probably 45 minutes 50 minute attention span the cinema yeah usually you know they do the, the kids showing anyway so there is quite a few kids walking up and down the aisle but I've started taking him to the theater a bit more often and he really likes theater because it's live and he can shout out and it's you know he's so in your face and it's so animated so now he's getting a little bit older I can start introducing him to the things I enjoy and now he you know he's he goes to nice restaurants but we were going for lunch, no, not on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not pants. But you know, for for my mum and dad's anniversary or something, we yeah. might go to the Ivy and he would go and he would. My friend had a really good take on it. You just take your pub bag, your rucksack, his rucksack yeah. that's full of activity books, you know, his pencils, anything that doesn't make a noise, so you're not yeah. disturbing people, his earphones if he's going to get be on his screen, and put him in that put them in that environment. I wouldn't you know, I, I did it when he was much younger because it was easy because he'd sleep, but now I'm reintroducing him to those those situations so I can also still enjoy it. Um
1: it's so as funny well. because I'd be lying if I said that I wouldn't mind if Daisy didn't like the theatre I was like I really really hope she likes the theatre because I love it but and I'm so relieved that she does because it would be so hard if she didn't like this yeah. there are things that she I love the outdoors and she is not as much of a fan of the outdoors as me so I do have to encourage strongly that but the theatre she absolutely yeah. loves and it is nice to share some things with them isn't yeah
2: they? And I think it's definitely for anybody who's having children, regardless of whether you're co-parenting or not, your life isn't over when you have a yeah, kid. Exactly. Like you can still do, you know, I, for the fact that we live in a city, Theo's obsessed with the outdoors. He loves nature. And the hardest thing I've got is finding city farm, you know, city yeah. farms and things. But I think if you can, even if you've got to fake your excitement for things, any form of enthusiasm from you, children, just absorb it, don't they? Exactly. So you can yeah, you can go and do that super fun adventure thing, and actually all you're doing is going into a little mermaid.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, So true. And what advice would you give, Claire, to people who, if people are considering solo parenthood, what would you tell them? I
2: what I what I had done relationship-wise, I had been in a relationship with somebody for a couple of years, on and off. And he was just a little bit, I just couldn't imagine co-parenting with him. So when we split up, I panic dated and I went on match and I was panic dating and it was getting to second or third date. And I was going, could I have a child with him? Could I, oh, would this work out? Is he, he some?" and I, I ended up not enjoying dating, not getting very far because actually what I wanted was the child. I didn't necessarily want the relationship. And I think don't put it off is probably what I would say is because all you're doing is reducing your chances. Unfortunately, it's a biology thing. So the longer you leave it, biologically, you are reducing your chances. If you know you want to be a mum, you don't have to wait for a co-parent to turn up and do that with. Yeah. If you you feel like you could be a mum, you'd really enjoy it, and you could be a good mum, we all mess up, I'm not saying a perfect mum, but a good mum that could give good, strong morals and kindness there's no point really waiting because I don't feel that I, this is one thing I don't really, I try not to overthink is like, is Theo's life going to be a little bit messed up because he hasn't got a dad in the house? I don't know. The only way I can make sure that he doesn't feel like that is how I raise him and how I communicate to him about it. So I would say in a nutshell, don't wait too long. Yeah, if there's things that I didn't think about too much and I wish I'd spent a bit more time thinking about and that's mostly financial and it's mostly childcare that I didn't really factor in. I really consider the cost of making a baby uh, and the cost of like clothing and feeding a baby, but I didn't really consider the cost of childcare. And that was a shock um and also how long it took me to get pregnant like, it definitely blew my budget out of the water on that as well yeah, yeah. so make sure financially you're far you're double secure than you think you need to be so whatever you think your budget is double it hmm. because things will come up but you aren't going to be a crap mom because you chose to do it on your own yeah i think <laughs> it would be my advice because I think, I think if you're worrying about it, you're already not a crap mom because yeah. you're already considering things. When you're doing the process, I would definitely really advocate at your clinic that you're a solo mom, and therefore I'm special to you. Therefore, I need more of your time and attention because I'm not absorbing everything in this consultation. I'm on my own; nobody's holding my hand. You know, I I I may go through miscarriages and I'm alone doing it. So please. And I would really advocate for yourself at your clinic, and that's one thing I wish I'd done more of.
1: We've got to remember we are paying a lot of money for service. We're yeah. absolutely entitled yeah. to get the, yeah. the support we need for that. Survey. And I think you know,
2: and you know, a lot of clinics. You are you're you're a clinic number. You're not you're not you're not necessarily name. I even got an email a year ago from my clinic asking me, "Oh, just can you firm the the birth date of your child from this transfer?" And that was, I, I tried to have a sibling for Theo, and unfortunately, I lost it. At, it was a second trimester miscarriage. So it was a very, well, all miscarriages are upsetting, but particularly upsetting because he also wanted, he, I wanted to give him a sibling too. And they emailed me asking the birth date of the, of the they didn't, they hadn't updated their records to see oh, that no. I miscarried. And so it's the insensitivity of some clinics as well, because yeah. you're just a, a clinic number. Yeah. So I would, I would definitely talk about your process in the clinic as well because I I really do believe clinics should try and introduce solo moms who are going through the process at similar times try and introduce them together so you've got a little bit of um, a support group at the beginning of your process
1: and interestingly that is what I would love to help clinics do because I think they I asked my clinic can you tell me who else is doing it? But of course they can't because of GDPR. And then they yeah. could if they then got the consent and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. But, but, but I think they they think that's not really the business we're in. So that that is what I would love to do to help them facilitate people meeting each other because it's so powerful going through it with someone who's in exactly yeah. the same situation. Yeah. How did you
2: know, because I, I didn't know, one that solo mums existed I didn't know there was a social media hashtag I so when I got pregnant I like I said all my close best friends of my age and don't have children so I didn't know anybody pregnant when I was pregnant and I found who's now a really good mum mate of mine through an app called peanuts I think it still exists and in my bio I would put IVF and she had IVF in her bio so we were like oh due dates are similar let's go meet up for a coffee she's fab she's absolutely Brilliant! And when I talked about my journey, she said, "Oh yeah, like there's like loads of you in London. Do you know <laughs> Jocelyn?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> Jocelyn." So she introduced me to Jocelyn, mother like mothering solo, yeah. uh, who we live near. There. And I didn't have that, and I was twenty weeks pregnant, and that's the first time I heard of this thing existing. And I met somebody who was trying to go through. It was starting her journey too.
1: Yeah. So how
2: did you, when you I, were trying with Daisy, did you know about it? Had you done no, a lot more research than me? No,
1: I didn't. I didn't know anybody until I had Daisy. I don't think. I can't remember knowing anybody when I was pregnant. Um, And, and then that's why I started The stalk and I Because I was right. like, there must be other people who are in this situation. And I wrote a blog post about what I'd done, shared it loads of people contacted me saying oh my goodness this is the exact situation I'm in what did you do blah 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 and then I thought yeah. okay there's lots of people who want to know about this and so I met a couple of people when I was when Daisy was born but I started uh, through the stalk and I so I started nice. a group people joined and then I just found people who lived close because I lived in Manchester then it was a bit easier. Yeah, And um, yeah, I started it myself. And, and now I think it's very different because there's lots of different Facebook groups. There is a hashtag. But I don't know how much there was when we were considering it. I think a lot less. Um, yeah, But I started a group in lockdown. So just put it out to my Facebook group to say, does anybody want to connect over lockdown? And we still do a weekly Zoom call now. Right. The group that I started then who've all got children the same age. We don't live close by, but we, we sometimes a remote connection is also powerful, isn't it? You know what that? Is. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But that's my passion. My absolute passion is that everybody has what I have, which is a good group of solo mum friends with children the same age. But to take yeah. it one step further, to meet people who are trying, And then to meet people who are going through pregnancy at the same time. That's why my favorite course is preparing to thrive, because regardless of if you're fully 100 percent on board with it, you haven't got anything to work through. Just meeting a group of people who are doing the same thing. I just think it's so beneficial and people just say, oh, I'm so pleased to have met these, these people. So, yeah, that's my passion to try to connect people with each other.
2: So, so do you do you actually physically meet a lot of? Have you got solo mum mates that you see on a regular, like physically see on a regular basis? Yeah.
1: So I've got a group. There's probably about there's probably five of us who see each right. other monthly. Then I do. We do a lot of meetups. So we, you know, especially throughout the summer, there's quite a few meetups that I organise from my thriving solo group. So meeting people of all different with children of all different ages and some who are considering it that want to meet people who haven't had children
2: yeah
1: it's so nice to be able to offer that yeah I wish I had had it at that time it would have made me so much and
2: uh, I sorry I'm asking you questions now no it's more because I don't and I live you know Um, I live in Clapham and you'd think there'd be like because obviously there's Jocelyn with her little boy who's two years younger than Theo and then I have a really good friend who moved to Henley and I do you think Apart from the mums all having to think, do you think the kids realise? So do you think it makes um, any
1: difference to the kids? 100% makes a difference to the kids. I'll give you a right. really good example of this, and this okay. is my other passion. So. As part of Thriving Solo, I've got a, a podcast that's a member's podcast and I've interviewed loads of donor-conceived people on that podcast right. and all of them say that they wish they would have known other people in a similar situation as they were growing up, that they would have had someone to talk to them about. And then Daisy...
2: Is that specifically about them? Because obviously Thea goes to a school in London where there's l- half his year, school year doesn't have a dad. yeah Yeah, the relationship doesn't have a dad in the home but it was it is it more specifically about being inquisitive about their dna or is it about not having a a father figure in the home
1: i think it will change throughout their age so for now it's definitely not having a father figure because that's what's visible so i think uh, daisy's five and she sees what her friends have got and she wants the same as what her friends have got so um I was talking to her about Father's Day and I said, Father's Day's coming up. How, what do you want to do? Because we haven't got a daddy in our lives. Yeah. And I thought this is a good opportunity to just reinforce that message. Um, but people will be celebrating their, their their dads. What would you like to do? And she looked at me as if I was stupid. And she's like, well, I mean, obviously I want to celebrate Granddad." And I was like, yeah. okay. Yeah. And and then I said, "And you know, and is there anybody else? And she said, yeah, Uncle Dan and Uncle Ian. And I like, cool. We'll, that's who we'll celebrate. But there have been times where she has said, I wish I had a dad. I did this amazing podcast episode with this psychologist, Dr. Anne Lane, who was like, when they say that, the absolute key for us is to not minimize it, not tell them who they have got in their lives, mm. not try and make it okay. Just just um, be curious about it and get them to explain it and get them to feel like they're okay to say that. And now and again, Daisy has said it. And uh, I can't remember the exact situation, but we were, there was something where, uh, but she didn't have a daddy in her life. And then she, I, I said, is there anybody else in your class who haven't got a daddy? And she said, I don't think so. She said, but but there's X person who's my friend's little girl. And then we started to go through my five friend's children. And I said, none of, th- none of them have got daddies in their lives. And she said, oh yeah. And so she's yeah. so happy to have other people who are in the same situation. And yeah. I think as they get older, they'll want to explore more about the donor conception side of it, as opposed yeah. to the, the the role of people being their side of it. And um yeah, just every donor conceived person I've spoken to said, if they wish they would have known other people that they could have spoken to about it as they were growing up, right. it would have been nice. So I do think so, it's good for the kids. And that's why I've organised, we're having a camping trip in July so that at least once a year, the kids can all get together. They can get to know each other. Um, People can make connections on that as well and hopefully see each other outside of that. And I, I personally do think it's really good for the kids to have that. Yeah. But I can hook you up, Claire. There's there's loads of people in London okay so if anybody's listening in london now South and West L- london, please. southwest london <laughs> that who has got a roundabout a four-year-old this yes is the, this is the good opportunity oh i'm yeah. so excited to see if anyone contacts you and says, I there.
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and it was also yeah it's and also boys because i think i remember yeah. being really excited i was having a boy but then immediately feeling very responsible that i was having a boy yeah um because oh, he's going to play football you know the playing the football thing the Boy, you know, the, and the immediately I went to, he's going to be uber masculine. He's going to, and he's not. He's, he does musical theatre on a Saturday, you know. Brilliant. He's very, because he's four and he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know what he loves yet. But I definitely had a, a moment of slight panic again. Oh my God, I've got a boy and I'm going to like, I'm gonna start Googling beavers and scouts now. And I was only 24 weeks pregnant. Yeah. yeah those sorts of things. Um, but, yeah, I, but again, it, I've,
1: I've interviewed two donor conceived males because right. everyone i would interviewed to have seemed to be female, well, they were females. Yeah. And so I've reached out to two genuinely who's males, and um, they're both really interesting cog capitalism. One of them said he didn't have very many male role models in his life and would have liked more. And the other right. said he did have lots of male role models and was very appreciative of it. So okay. um, there That's definitely is something. I spoke to a psychologist who said it's not really about gender, of male role models it's just lots of different role models of people who do yeah. different things but yeah these two people did both talk about role models so as an action we can take that's something I'm really mindful of who yeah. can I make sure is in Daisy's life that she's that she has got some male influences right then well Claire thank you so much it was so lovely to chat to you
0: you're very welcome it was fun thank you if you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast and would like to access bonus episodes featuring donor-conceived people, psychologists, and other experts, you can head over to my website, thestalkeneye.com, to subscribe to the Thriving Solo membership. For 2.99 a month, you'll get access to members-only episodes as well as the entire back catalogue. You'll get access to useful resources and a monthly community call which are a great opportunity to meet people in a similar situation to you. On my website, you can also find more information about the coaching I offer. You can also follow me on Instagram at thestalkerni.com to get an insight into the realities of solo parent life.